Hello and welcome back to the Blind Spots podcast. I'm your host, Jake Tropila, joined as always by my co-host, Christy Strauss. Christy, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing terrific on this morning, afternoon. Yeah, on this, on this, uh, on this good morrow on which we celebrate our lives. Our nondescript. Yeah. Time when, in the ether. Whenever you're listening to this in the restroom, on the drive to work, on the drive to home, uh, at home, doing the dishes, doing the laundry, wherever on you might airplane, be. On a plane, on a car, underwater. Uber, in a submarine. That's cool. But, uh, yeah, we are a, uh, universal podcast in that way in which you can listen to us anywhere. We are the, uh, easy listening podcast about, uh, two good old film friends who like to, uh, introduce each other uh, films that the other person has not seen. That is our uh, show, Blind Spots. Christy picks a film, I pick a film. One has not seen the other, and uh, we watch both and talk about them. It's been a bit since uh, we've done this, so apologize if my uh, intro is a little bit shaky. I'm just kind of going off the cuff here. But uh, we are celebrating two of uh, who I would say are two of America's quintessential auteur filmmakers, both legends in their own right, uh, and both uh, with filmographies of just uh, extraordinary work, as we were discussing before we started rolling, and uh, I'm really excited. Part two, yeah, we part three. <laughs> we uh, we might have to do multiple parts just on these two filmmakers alone. There's a lot to offer, but uh, for now, let's get part one underway. We are, of course, talking about uh, the films. If you haven't seen the title, we're going to start off with a little film from 1975 called Nashville. This is uh, by director Robert Altman. It's a guy you may have known. He did uh, he did Popeye, Once Upon a Time, and uh, Shortcuts, <laughs> and a lot of other great films. But uh, Nashville is uh, largely regarded as uh, his his best film, um, if not his most epic, uh, for many reasons. Um, it's certainly one of my favorites of his. Um, but I think also, like uh, both the films in tonight's slate, uh, this is not an easy one to kind of just sit down and casually watch. It's very, uh, I mean, just the, the length alone, uh, you, you'll need a full afternoon to get through it. But uh, I think it's uh, one of the best American films I've ever seen. And uh, I bring this film to Christy. And Christy, let's hear your uh, initial thoughts on Nashville. Yeah, well, and I like to think of it as, as like the easy listening, but not like the uh, the jazz in the elevator. You know, we're like the uh, easy listening of the podcast that, um, you're just like hanging out with a group of friends, sort of. Yeah. Sorry, um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we, we like to think uh, that we're your friends. We're all buds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed Nashville a lot. Um, it was one that's kind of always been on my radar. I, you know, I definitely, it's always one that I've heard about and, um, you know, has been, like you said, kind of revered as being, you know, his best and one of his best and just in, you know, film in general, um, yeah. a standout film. And, you know, I do, I did really like it a lot. It was a movie that I felt like I actually liked it a lot more um, in the second half. And it's not even necessarily because of the the narrative like changes or anything. It's just because like, yeah. as you fall into it deeper, you start, because it, it really, it starts off and like this whole movie is just like so much music and then just like, you know, cut to the characters that are involved in this, you know, music scene. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at first um, I, I wasn't entirely sure how I felt about it and I'm not a huge country music fan, but like every, as, as the film got on, came on, it just continued to sell me. And so that was something that I like really appreciate. And that's interesting because that's not always the case. Like I actually think that um, he and Mrs. Miller might be my favorite of his. 
Um, and that's one that actually sold me from the, like the opening shot. Um, so it's, it's a little different in that way, but it's such an epic that, and it's such a huge undertaking, um, to kind of capture this iconic, like, first of all, iconic element of Nashville, um, and, and the music scene and have so many characters that are introduced, so many working parts, moving parts, um, was really pretty, you know, impressive. Yeah, this well, this immediately hooks you. It opens with a, a like a faux record advertisement introducing all the stars of the film, and there's no yes, fewer than I did like love that. <laughs> 24 main characters. They all get a little animated intro on this giant, like gorgeous record, and as that's going, the, the songs from the film are feet like on the have the scrolling text on the sides, like hey, these are the songs on this album. But it's like it's Robert Altman's Nashville, starring Lily Tomlin and Jeff Goldblum and the wonderful. Uh, Ned Beatty in Nashville, and it it really really kind of grabs you. And yeah, this is uh, I, you mentioned narrative. This is kind of like Altman style. It's not really it doesn't have like a, a right, a, and it doesn't really go plot by plot. It's kind of a I kind of like this podcast. You know, we're just kind of it's a casual hangout in the uh, town of Nashville. Of course, it takes place over a five day stretch where uh, all of these uh, various artists, uh, political organizers, um, a whole people from all sorts of walks of life are kind of gathering at what is uh, ultimately going to be this um, concert for a local like grassroots politician who's uh, starting a new political party. It's kind of like a proto Bernie Sanders in a way. Uh, we never see the politician, but um, throughout the film, uh, his one of his campaign vans is just kind of driving around and we hear like his messages and his promises being just spread on the loudspeaker. But um, we meet. Uh, yeah. So we meet everyone in the introduction. Uh, we're also this is like on the eve of America's bicentennial, uh, which my mother informs me was a huge event for this country's <laughs> history. I do not know I was not around. But uh, there, so there's uh, this and I, I, I just going to apologize right off the bat. There's just so many. Uh, characters and names. I don't right. have them all together. There's, anyways, there's an album being produced uh, by this uh, the the H H guys. That's all I know him because he's got two H's for his name. Uh, Haven Hamilton. That's it. I finally there got it. Go. He's he's producing this uh, this folk record about uh, how the country has persisted on for nearly 200 years or 200 years. And um, yeah, it's it's we. Everyone is sort of loosely connected to one another. I'm sure there's a chart out there that someone has neatly made that connects all of the characters from Nashville. But uh, yeah, just it's this really amazing film, how it like hits the intersection of like country music, which oh, I think we mentioned before the podcast started is that this is not a favorite genre of mine by any means. Yet I do enjoy a lot of the songs from the film. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's the, the magic of Altman. Um, but yeah, it's it just it's an intersection of uh, music, of politics, of art, uh, it, it, all relationships, all relationships, exactly. Everything just kind of competitive comes, nature of music industry. Yeah, there's it, you know it, it, it's it's just such a, a like a wonderful mosaic of mm. of a, of the country as it was over 40 years ago, and uh, I yeah I I I'm just I'm just fascinated at how it's all executed. It's it's an extraordinary work. It really is. Yeah, I think um, it definitely is this kind of um, tapestry. And it's I think that's the most impressive part about it. And, and you know, like we said, this isn't necessarily I, we have pretty similar taste in music. And um, this is definitely not 
normally what I would listen to. And I feel like there was actually a lot and I can always appreciate good music in any genre anyway. But um, I thought that there was a lot of really well written and performed by, you know, actors in this and actresses in this film. Um, some really talented vocal performances. Yeah. And, you know, there's some we, we talked about some of the songs before we got on here, but that were really um, stand out and <laughs> stuck in my head on a, you know, <laughs> yeah. basis. Um, and I, I think that that's really kind of shows the strength of it. Um, and, you know, this is actually our second uh, Altman that we've done. Yeah. Which well, we've also done one of the other director too, which is interesting. Um, and there's definitely a, you know, there's just a kind of quirkiness to, to his um, way of, you know, filmmaking, but this one definitely feels like one of the biggest endeavors I've seen someone take on. And the fact that it, it actually does work out. It becomes this um, really interesting intersection of um, this music industry and music scene during this time. And the, um, like you said, with your mom mentioning the time period, it's uh, it's really just pretty um, awe-inspiring in a it's, way. It um, is. It's amazing at how well this is pulled off in the hands of the wrong person. This is a total disaster. I feel like this is the only kind of movie Alden could make because not only is it near like nearly three hours long, uh, but all the music is written and uh, performed by the actors themselves. There's no real like stars come in. No songs of the era are used. Everything is all completely original. Um, it's yeah, it, and it just perfectly captures just this like pivotal moment in American history. There's, just to kind of paint the the cast a bit more there. So there's like this, the country's world famous uh, country singer is uh, Barbara Jean. Um, in the opening of the film, she kind of collapses from a heat stroke and later she mm-hmm. performs and has a nervous breakdown. And like the burden of, of fame is, is kind of ruining her. And like the second most popular country star is a gal named Connie White played by Karen Black, um, gorgeous blonde gal. But uh, there's this also this trio of uh, they're kind of hippie esque, I guess you could say. Um, they're more folky. Yeah, more folk music uh, featuring Keith Carradine, uh, who sings my favorite song in the film. Um, he uh, he spends most of the movie trying to get after Lily Tomlin's character. Uh, she continues to reject and not know who he is. Uh, he ends up betting pretty much all most of the other female cast throughout the movie, and then. There's this incredible moment where he sings a song at a bar and he says, I'm going to sing a song for a lady who may or may not be here. And like we see all the women who he slept with are there and he starts singing the song. I'm easy. And they're all sort of realizing the song is not about them. And it's about Lily Tom sitting in the back. And that's uh, and she's realizing it. Yeah. And it's rightfully won won an Oscar for that song, Keith Carradine. But yeah, there's there's. And it's it's weird, too, how like it has what could have been a downbeat ending, but it also yeah. takes like one of the most tragic characters and turns them into this beacon of hope. Like mm-hmm. there, there's a, a gal who's uh, she's just kind of she's avoiding her abusive husband and she's just kind of walking through the countryside and she's taping these just little kind of ramblings of her observations. Like she walks through uh, like a giant dump and then a, there's like this graveyard of school buses she visits and how just this country, everything is just, you know, being used and piling up and going to ruin. And she sings the final song and like brings a whole crowd of people together in a devastating moment of violence. 
so there's it really just kind of floored me all over again to watch it. But I'm yeah. I'm going too long. What are your thoughts on Nashville? Um, something else I, I liked a lot about it in connection to the music is a lot of the storytelling is within the songs. Mm. Um, like like you were just talking about that character singing to her. Um, yeah. It happens a few times that you can t- you you've seen some of their lives in between the performances, and you can connect some of the inspiration for the songs, yeah. even when it's not as obvious or you know I guess it's clear. But I just really like that because it makes it so. Um, you know, I think this is even listed as a musical, and you know, I would argue sometimes as far as what that definition is for a genre because yeah. it's not really a musical; it's just a music film. It has but, musical um, performances, but it yeah, doesn't. Yeah, but it's not like spoke. You know, the yeah. story is sung. But at the same time, to go back to what I was saying, even though that kind of defi- defeats what I was just saying, um, is that it does tell a story in the songs, and mm. um, it makes these these edits and these um, kind of sections just uh make it kind of flow even more yeah. and um it makes it also so that this length time which this runtime which could potentially be kind of like scare some people away mm-hmm. you know or, or so i've heard <laughs> some people don't like long movies um but if you didn't know anything about this movie and you just saw nash you know it was about nashville and it was this length it, it could but it, it doesn't ever feel mm-hmm. um as long as it is and i think that that's in a lot of ways the you know, whenever you have a longer film, I think that that's really speaking to it because a movie that's like an hour and 20 minutes, if it's bad, can feel like three hours. Yeah, so. it's it's exactly that's a no. I think it's this is an Ebert quote. No long film is no good film is too long. No bad film is too short. Mm. Uh, it, it can all just be in the feel of it. And uh, yeah, I think, again, like Altman is just a director I love any day. Like I could sit down yeah. and watch Shortcuts right now, which is another three hour film and it's it's he he really is just such a was such a magnificent like creator of uh and and also just going back to like how everyone like most of this dialogue is all like is all of his trademarks are here this everyone's dialogue is mostly improvised and everyone is like like overlapping each other in their dialogue like like again in the wrong hands this would have been a complete nightmare to produce and sit through like like this would have been a notorious bomb um, but I was just trying to think of like who would be the worst director to try to take this on. Oh God, uh, I, I don't. <laughs> just <laughs> all of them. <laughs> just anyone else, basically. Quentin uh, Tarantino. Yeah, uh, I mean, oh, well, you know. Uh, <laughs> Suddenly, this becomes intriguing. One, once upon a time in Nashville, um, but uh, yeah, uh, I think uh, yeah, I think. Um, I mean, you mentioned tapestry. That's like just one of the perfect words to sum it up. There's yeah. Just this. Uh, it's 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 just multiple intersections of of lives and the and the things it's that very we colorful do. and rich exactly and, yeah yeah and if, you know you mentioned I'm sure there's somebody out there who's made like a diagram of all the connections I feel like somebody should and make it a poster I feel like that would be really cool yeah that would be pretty awesome over like the the Nashville like <laughs> like on the on a map. Just like yeah, the take the map of the city or something. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what Nashville looks like really, <laughs> aside from this, uh, or like use the Parthenon pillars. Um, one little. Uh, also, we need to talk about Jeff Goldblum. Well, like, yes. Look. The, I mean, <laughs> he's he's called he's just called the tricycle man in the film. Uh, right. It's only so. only referred to that in the credits, but he never never has a line. Uh, he, he shows up just in like full 
blue jean, black jacket, hippie regalia. He's got this giant chopped motorcycle, this three-wheeler, which is why he's the tricycle guy. And just everywhere he goes, he just kind of performs these little sleight-of-hand tricks uh, that make people do double takes. But he's kind of, uh, like, like, just, uh, like, acts as sort of this, uh, like, fringe tissue that kind of just brings one plot point to another. Like, he, he does have a purpose, even if he's, like, perceived just to be kind of like a gesture roaming around the proceedings. But Yeah, I, no, I, I love that. And I love his glasses, uh, his sunglasses. Like, he's, like, orange. I think they're orange. He's great. I don't know, this I, whole look is just I a good thing. love just his first scene in the diner where he does the little trick with the salt, and mm. he, he throws the invisible salt in the air and catches it and pours real salt from his hand and... Right. Uh, yeah, he's he's a delight. Just and I like. Well, see. I think feel like Jeff Goldblum always is. So like, yeah. I feel like what needs to happen is that he just needs to go on tour and like be this character and just pop up in different cities. Jeff Goldblum, bring back the tricycle man and just roam the country as him. I mean, it's funny how Robert kind of Robert Altman predicted as first name terms. Um, Bob Altman predicted that this kind of quirky you nature that. Yeah, me and Bob, uh, we go way back. <laughs> Just like the, it really just hard. Not only does he have a way with actors, but he, he harnesses just the right roles for each of them. Um, but yeah, it's it's just uh, if you have never seen this, I I beg of you, please uh, seek out Nashville. Don't be don't be daunted by the length. Do not worry about the music. If this is not your cup of tea, this is all all good stuff. Yes, um, give it a yeah. chance. And yeah. Tricycle Man's just one of many reasons why. And make that poster, someone. Yeah. And get Jeff Goldblum to come back. I, I, I'm tempted to Google it and see if it's real. <laughs> but, uh, I yeah. think he's our number one fan though, Jeff. So he'll probably like, he'll probably hit us up after this and say he's, he's going to come back as tricycle man. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, that's, uh, do we want to move on to our, uh, next Yes, film? we do. All right. Why don't you take it away? I think that's the perfect way to end. Yeah. So, um, my next choice, which is also a director that we had discussed before, and somehow mm-hmm. we still have many others, which is just going to say of their, um, their clout. Um, but it's, um, 19, <clears throat> 1999's Bringing Out the Dead, Martin Scorsese's ah. film. And it's a, it's a Scorsese film that I feel like is, is kind of underseen, definitely underappreciated by some, especially in comparison of his entire filmography, because he's just such a director that's beloved. And by, you know, varying degrees of audiences and ages. Um, but I just feel like this one gets a little lost. It's uh, another kind of collaboration with him and Paul Schrader. He's one of the writers. But it's uh, it takes place in the early 90s in New York City. Um, Nicholas Cage is the main character. He's a paramedic. And he is he's he's on the edge. Um, this is kind of goes over the course. I believe it's three days. And um he is someone that's just basically about to lose it. He sees the ghosts of people that he hasn't been able to save. Um, specifically one young girl is, is really plaguing him. He has three coworkers over the course of these three nights that he joins, um, that they ride together on as paramedics and they're all wildly different, uh, very, you know, big characters. And he, one victim or one person that he tries to save, uh, the daughter is Patricia Arquette. And uh, mm. he kind of creates this bond with her and friendship that really um, kind of puts him in a different mindset. Um, but also overall, he's just, as this movie goes on, he's like literally just breaking down on the verge of like a complete um, kind of mental breakdown. He doesn't sleep. He drinks, you know, he it should not be driving around saving people, most likely. But um, yeah. 
this film really just hits you like with like a sledgehammer. Um, yes. It's and I maybe I'm I'm guessing this is maybe also not one of his more uh, celebrated films, um, just because like like if you just comparing to something just uh, to pull like Goodfellas out of mm. like his catalog like there's Goodfellas is also epic there's it's nearly three hours long as well but there's just a lot of great like memorable qualities and characters and I think a lot of people can also just enjoy it on a superficial level as well not that there's yeah. anything wrong with that um, but. Uh, bringing out the dead doesn't really open itself up to that. It's it's not as universal. It's yeah. It's it's really a complete descent into hell. Uh, just over a weekend. It's <laughs> a kind of a funny con- connection connection to Nashville is that these right. just take place over less than a week. Um, but I I don't think I've you know seen a film that best captures how hard it must be to be a life saving paramedic. Yeah, this is not driver. something you'd want to use as an advertisement for this job. This, yeah, I, I can, it's, it, the, and that's the other thing too, like with Nashville, this film is just, it, despite all the death, it's also just teeming with life. Yes. Like the, the pandemonium of the city, uh, when they go back to the hospital to drop off, uh, their patients, just the waiting room is chaos. Uh, the halls of the hospital are chaos, like they're having to squeeze people into our emergency rooms. Um, it's very chaotic, frenetic, um, and yeah. yet there's also this like almost ethereal quality, especially visually, um, because I feel like there's always this, you know, yeah. he's like he suffers from like hallucinations and all this stuff, but at the same yes. time, you know, it almost feels like on the verge of life and death. The whole movie, like just the movie in itself, and that's because of his character, and I think in a lot of ways because um, he's always dealing with that. But anyway, I didn't mean to stop you. I was just adding to what you No, saying. no, no, please. I mean, yeah, you mentioned, I wanted to really get into the, the look of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this is, I think probably the, uh, uh, unspoken hero might actually be Robert Richardson, the cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not familiar with his work, he works with Tarantino a lot. Funny we mentioned him again. Um, but, uh, he, he does like this film with just this, um, this ethereal sort of uh, permanent glow of of like it literally looks like the afterlife yes could open exactly. at any any moment and just bring these characters uh, into like just in, into the great beyond uh, like 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 it's like heaven shining down on everyone we're all just on the verge of death and uh, obviously this is like Schrader, deeply spiritual, um, and, and Scorsese is a, you know, he's, I think he says he's a lapsed Catholic filmmaker, but also just one of our strongest, uh, American and religious filmmakers who, uh, has a lot of religious imagery, especially the final shot. I won't spoil, but, um, the, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like, uh, like the heavens are illuminating above all the characters. Uh, and that's, that's, it's really a unique looking film in that regard. Yeah, it's it's really like you said, kind of the unsung hero is is definitely um, the cinematography and and it is like I said ethereal and like you just said, but also at the same time um, it's like the fuzziness of his own brain <laughs> as well um, because yes. he's like always under the influence, even if it's just like depri- sleep deprivation basically. Um, but there's also a level of like the filmmaking and cinematography that's very, very chaotic in the sense that there are scenes like, well, I'll just have to say he has a few different people he works with. Um, John Goodman, who's definitely the most like the, the sanest. Um, mm. Ving Rames and Tom Sizemore, which 
if anyone knows Tom Sizemore, I feel like he's always like a variation of this character um, to a yeah. degree. He's like, it's almost like the Nicolas Cage cageness. It, there's like a Tommy Sizes, Sizeness, which is what I, I always call him Tommy, you know, like we're, we're yeah. good buds, but um, he's definitely the most crazy. And when they get together, there's like sequences where they're driving around and it just, you finally get like the, the cage that we're used to in the sense of like the, um, you know, face off and, and those type of roles. But um, it can it can really like kind of transport you in those moments, though, because it, it it's like this rush of blood to the head, like just rush of blood to the heart, like, bam, you know, adrenaline shots sort of situation. And um, it shows like how it also, by the way, taking place in the early 90s, because this is actually from 1999, but they make a point of saying that I feel like they're trying to paint New York City which I'm sure it's always had these opportunities to be chaotic and gritty and all that. But like this particular version, especially like in these hospitals and stuff is exaggerated is, mm-hmm. um, you know, like there's no room for anyone. There's the guy with the sunglasses, which by the way, that cracks me up every time. He's like, you don't want me to remove my sunglasses. It's like, why, why do you know? I want to know. Um, but there's actually a lot of comedy, especially in the first half of the movie. And uh, like, there's the, you know, intake woman that's basically saying like so you did drugs so why should we save you like you're just gonna go out and do it again like there's a lot of um really cynicism deeply cynical yeah very deeply cynical which like Nashville has some cynicism too but this is like really really cynical like that's what i mean about like exaggerated like this hospital or these places are really like the most hellish of like versions that could be in this in this movie um, yeah. But before I move on to like Cage's performance and Arquette's performance, which I also think are some of the most, you know, great parts mm-hmm. of the film. Is there anything else that you want to mention that I just touched on or is that my yeah. on a ramble? Obviously, I'm a fan. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, 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 the you mentioned his three co-workers. Uh, I love the sequence with Ving Rhames where they go to the druggy den and uh, they have the basically they can they can revive the guy, but uh, Ving Rhames' character he's super spiritual, so he's he he basically has every all the junkies just gather around to hold hands in prayer before they resurrect uh, their their fallen comrades. Um, right, and they're and, just so uh, out of it that they they don't even realize it. Yeah, he's they not, don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. John Goodman, I wish you know, I always wish he stuck around more in any movie. I love his comment though. I had beef lo mein yesterday. I can't have it two days in a row. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's just the the aggravation of the work. For it like really just like no, I don't want to get this guy. He's just a, a drunken bum. He smells terrible. Like let like l- like they're avoiding calls to take and. Yes. What's also funny is that the dispatcher's voice is Scorsese, so it's the director is literally putting all of his actors through hell. Oh, I know, I love that. I love that. (laughs) But yeah, um, and uh, and and Sizemore is he's also just like not not somebody suited to do this line of work. Like like he's a a fucking maniac. And the thing is, Cage is actually good at it, and he actually seems like he has like I feel like everybody else is far more into their cynicism than even he is. And I feel like what's interesting about this story is that there's a lot of times where he legitimately wants to save lives. And he's, he feels kind of, um, I want to say, like it's, you know, he's failed so many people that he's starting to really fall into that cynicism even more. But there's even a sequence where they're like, him and Tommy Sizemore are basically like joking about these people dying and like this guy running through a glass window and throwing himself off the roof. But at the same time, Cage is willing to do whatever he can to save his life. So there's this like interesting kind of back and forth mm-hmm. um, 
that's like, do they care or are they just like, you know, is this all a joke? Either way, it's a very, very compelling kind of uh, <laughs> connection and explosion of narrative, yeah. I think. Yeah, like Sizemore's a guy who's just lost it. Like, I think the last thing that we see of him is him just smashing up the front of his yes. ambulance with a baseball bat. And he's just but, going, die, die, die. But, uh, it's Cage, so random. Cage does kind of have that hope with him. He's just, like you said, he literally sees the ghosts of, um, of, like, of the people he has not failed, especially Rosie, I think is the name of the gal. He, mm-hmm. he, like, feels like he failed the least. Um, there's also a really haunting sequence where, just to try to get through one night, he takes, uh, is it, is it Narcan is the name of the drug, uh, that, uh, Cliff Curtis is pushing. Uh, he, like, takes a hit no, of that. No, um, it's, or is uh, it, the Red Devil. Death? Red, Red Death. Red Death, yeah. Something Narcan like is the one that bring him, is to bring uh, That's what it is, people yeah. back. Yeah. Narcan brings him back, yeah. But there's a really stunning sequence where he just starts running through the city and literally lifting the bodies he failed out of the ground. Yeah. Uh, it's, Scorsese is just like such a hell of a director. Like the power really that is. he puts in every gesture uh, on screen is uh, just astounding. It's like he just he hits you with full force, and I have to respect him for that always. Yeah, that is a really good sequence, and yeah, it's Red Death. It's like, yeah, why wouldn't you want to do it? Yeah, like um, just another stupid comment, but like I, the whole movie, I'm like, why, why, why? Um, because it seems like it's putting everybody in the hospital or doing something ridiculous. But uh, Cliff Curtis has a, I like his performance too. It's, it's not like a, like a huge performance, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, and Mark Anthony also um, have some, some like important supporting roles, yeah. but Nicholas Cage and Patricia Arquette and their interesting kind of connection, which I think is also something else that kind of keeps him um, rooted into not being entirely cynical, but um, because he does want to really save her father. And, uh, but his performance and, you know, obviously we're both Nick Cage fans, um, but he's really terrific in this film. And he's, his moments of like when he's really, you know, on, you know, like 15 or whatever are great, but I really think it's his subtle moments, his smaller moments. I feel like he's really has a raw performance in this. He's a really vulnerable um, and it's just, it's the kind of performance, kind of like, you know, recent years pig, um, that I love to see from him. Um, and that's even more subtle, but like, it's just, uh, another, I think show that he can do a lot of different kinds of films. And I feel like when you have someone like Scorsese behind you, I feel like that's going to bring out your best performance anyway, but, um, or at least one hopes, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, I mean, just ask De Niro and DiCaprio, right? No, but, um, yeah, well, he, you, uh, you, I just, uh, sorry to interrupt real quick. You mentioned those two guys. I'm surprised, like, Cage didn't work with Come back Scorsese. again? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Maybe, maybe he will. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Like, you know, maybe this that is going to be, maybe that's going to be the next era. Cause I feel like <laughs> Scorsese would probably do movies forever as long as he can. I don't oh, know. Yeah. Um, he's, but maybe that's going to be out. the next guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's, yeah, Cage, like, as with Pig proved last year, he's he can he can be all like rage in the cage, um, which is what you might expect. <laughs> like of color a, out of space. Yeah, he. <laughs> yeah, he, which is what you might expect about just a, a ambulance driver slowly unraveling over the course of right. A he could be rage, cage the rage or cagey rage or yeah. caged. 
but like no his he keeps it very grounded and like you yeah. said yeah we're both fans of him i'm not i don't buy into the oh he's the like i think i think we were like we've moved past as a society is like that he's not a good actor that thing. he's yeah. the the not a good actor slash meme actor thing slash like, i'll take anything i get my hands on which means i don't give yeah. it up my all yeah but i mean we've moved on he still does those projects but i right. I, I think a lot of people have come back around on but him I still think he gives it like even those projects he gives it <laughs> he's he still does interesting things like yeah. if the movie's not good he is worth he doesn't watching phone it in yeah yeah um uh, yeah i say that without having seen a lot of his vod films <laughs> well there's but, only uh, like you know i actually one day i was like oh i think i've actually seen nope we, not a lot of them <laughs> yeah there's yeah there's a lot um but i'm glad that he's still being recognized as uh as a, a, a tremendous artist um yeah. but yeah and he, he's great in the the rapport he shares with uh, patricia arquette who's also just kind of very natural in this um mm. she's she's sells her sequence as well and, and it, it could easily have just kind of oh like it's the the ambulance driver who falls in love with the daughter of uh one of his patients and kind of, kind of there is something of a through line with her father's in the hospital and keeps mm-hmm. keeps failing and coming back and he sees him. He speaks to him at the end, but it's not like it's not like you uh, like a, oh you have my blessing, son, or anything. It's not not played for any of that at all. It's it's yeah. it's really just played completely straight. No, it's done really well, and I think that there is like an undercurrent, like kind of spiritual element, but um, also just the idea of you know um, I don't know like the what's the word I'm looking for like kind of the uh, worth of a human life. Yeah. Um, whether it be in that cynicism from, you know, a nurse's comment uh, or to the fact that they bring this guy back. Like how many times I, I didn't even know that. Is that something people do? Like um, it's 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 kind of uh, not to like spoil the movie, but like resuscitate someone like 17 times in one night is just. Uh, oh, yeah. It's insane to think about, you know, yeah. um, but I think it really touches on that a lot. And it's definitely a very psychological film. And it's definitely very different um, than a lot of Scorsese's. That's why, like we talked about, that I think it doesn't reach as big of an audience. But I truly think it's one that is kind of like the uh, underdog of his his filmography that more people should check out. And I feel like it's a deeply affecting movie. It's, um, you know, it's yeah. you really feel for Cage, even when he's, you know, being, you know, kind of insensitive or a jerk or something. Um, you're there with him on this, like breakdown and you see all the the kind of different colorations of what causes it and what continues to um yeah heighten it yeah it's it really just an incredible performance um from him an incredible work uh in scorsese's filmography not by no means a, none of his films i would ever call a, like a footnote like right. like even the departed which is uh, even is, uh, 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 I mean, what? No, nah, but no, none of his. Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. You, you actually do like The Departed, right? Like that was a joke. That was no, like I a... do, I do, but it's not, it's not. I don't hold it as a, a high regard to something like Raging Bull or Taxi Driver. Um, mm-hmm. I think I prefer Criminal Affairs, but no, I still like. The, don't get me wrong, I still like The Departed a great deal. Uh, this is still the friendly podcast you're all listening to. <laughs> Sorry to get contentious for a moment. But uh, no, I also like Hugo a lot too. I and a lot of people don't. Um, but yeah. I, I mean, it, I like that he explores different 
things in his films. So he, he really does have, yeah. you know, like there's definitely like a, a distinguishable element when he makes a film that you like, oh yeah, this is Marty. You know, cause me and Marty are buds. But at the same time, he also does try different things, you know? Yeah, it's also like that. I think we're also kind of past the thing that, oh, Scorsese only makes gangster movies. Mm. Like, that is just such the minority of his work. Um, it really is at this point, yeah. And it's, it, and when every new release of his is worth championing, uh, like I, you know, he's, he's just such a celebrated director and also, He's done more for the film world in, yes. in terms of uh, finding, releasing, and presenting. And restoring. And restoring. Uh, yeah. yeah. Rest- restoring. Re- that's not a word. Restorating. It? <laughs> it is now. Okay. Him restorating lots of things for us to see is could not be more va- – that's the most valuable thing I think an artist could do is just to, to help lift up the work of others. Is that I agree. Not, not only is he making incredible work, but he's also – raising other incredible works as well for and that's that's again like you said there's value in that it's the value Absolutely. of life and i think uh, uh it's you know we're, we're, this is the martin scorsese podcast from now on right. we're just going to yeah. celebrate his life and work and uh, to surprise of no one there was rolling stones which was like one of the first <laughs> yeah <laughs> he likes to use them um yeah it's true and is it is a great use just of one a, of those directors that uses more songs than scores generally. oh yeah a, um, uh, Goodfellas, I think, is entirely soundtracked. It's pretty, um, pretty wild. I'm how, pretty like, positive that it's like back to back needle drops. Yeah, it is. it's which is really, um, you know, rare. So, but uh, he always has great needle drops. Anyway, there's um, a I'll mention. Departed. I'll mention. I'll mention my. Well, excuse me. <laughs> I'll mention my favorite <laughs> one in uh, Bringing Out the Dead is I love REM. Yes. And uh, when what's the frequency, Kenneth? It, I know it's, it's such a perfect one. It's fantastic. And it goes, it does like the whole song too, I think, like basically. Either way, yeah. it's on for a while and it's uh, like going around the city. I mean, most of the movie really is in the ambulance or, you know, um, going from one scene to another. Um, and then the hospital, like there's not a lot of, it, it's really like at the gritty heart of the city, yeah. um, the heart that they have to continuously resuscitate. But um, yeah, yeah, and you know, just really quickly, I think Swiss says he has like three things coming out next year or something, or like in the next year and a half. So this guy's not slowing down. I think at least two have Leo because there's um, flower flowers. Moon. Yeah, the that was supposed moon, to yeah. come out. Um, and then he also has an. I'm pretty sure he's gonna finally do the H H Holmes. I'm pretty sure that I read that. I hope okay. so because I've been. You haven't heard of Devil in the White City? I I have heard of that. Yes. Um, I think he's actually doing it as a miniseries, I think. Um, don't quote me on that. But either way, it's very interesting. interesting. You know, one of the first serial killers, 1893 World Fair. Um, so I'm excited about it. But especially if Leo plays it, I, I don't know if he is or not. I'd have to re- read into it. But clearly I am a, a fan. Um, so, yeah, that's what this podcast is going to be from now on. Uh, we'll sprinkle in some Altman. Mm-hmm. No, but um, <laughs> that is bringing out the dead. Do you have any final um, words that you want to add to it? Um, no, I mean, just, uh, it's also just a shame that, uh, Nashville had a beautiful restoration from Criterion. It's on Blu-ray. Uh, but Bringing Out the Dead is, like, not on home video anywhere. Like, it hasn't even received a Blu-ray release overseas. I have uh, it's a dr- DVD. It's, there is, like, an old DVD. I think that might be out of print. Um, but yeah. it's, it's streaming in HD on HBO Max. If you have that, please, I implore you, check it out. Interesting. I think that's like the third film we've done where I have it on like an old DVD. I think yeah. that's, and it's like out of print. 
I think that's actually happened for a few now. Yeah. Um, but yes, he is doing Devil in the White City, by the way. Yeah. And it's, it's got Keanu uh, Reeves, too. Interesting. Oh, God damn, I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> good stuff ahead. Um, well, but yeah, yeah, those are some two very, uh, you know, amazing films. Um, it's kind of hard, I think, with this talent for it not to be. So it was a, it was a great uh, duo. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, this is just both two quintessentially American films by two of our maverick filmmakers. And my son is awake, so... <laughs> He's just so excited. He's very excited, yeah. Well, I think we should take that as a cue to wrap up now. Well, yeah, again, thank you guys so much for uh, listening to the podcast, wherever you are in this uh, walk of life. Uh, Hopefully not the end of it. But uh, it's been great talking with you all. It's been great talking with you, Christy. Uh, Where can the people find you, should you wish to be found? Yeah, so um, for Twitter, it's Strauss, S-T-R-U-S-E, underscore Christy, K-R-I-S-T-Y. And Film and Cree is just at Film and Cree. Um, what about right you? on. Yeah, I'm at Jake Tropila on all things. J A K E T R O P I L A. Uh, come find me over there. Um, unless you're can not a part of my Twitter circle. Him. Yeah. <laughs> you must be part of his the the, the circle. That sounds so sinister. You, you want to see the cool tweets? I mean, come on, get right. involved. But uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Hopefully, uh, we bang these episodes. I know we always say this, but uh, you know, life just gets in the way sometimes. I have a, a five-month-old now that I'm uh, currently raising, but uh, he's doing great. He's sitting on my lap, sucking on my thumb. Uh, you have anything you want to say, Dalton? Now he's quiet. No, yeah. Now he doesn't want to talk. Okay. He's, now All he's right. shy. He's touching his feet. <sighs> yeah, probably. But uh, yeah, but thank you very much uh, for joining. We hope you uh, enjoyed this episode. Uh, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Groovy. What? I'm easy. Yeah, I'm easy. Give the word, I play the game. So that's how it ought to be. Because I'm easy.